Book One, Chapter One of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Wheel. Camilla, or a Picture of Youth, by Fanny Burney. Book One. The historian of human life finds less of difficulty and of intricacy to develop in its accidents and adventures than the investigator of the human heart in its feelings and its changes. In vain may fortune wave her many-coloured banner, alternately regaling and dismaying, with hues that seem glowing with all the creation's felicities, or with tints that appear stained with ingredients of unmixed horrors, her most rapid vicissitudes, her most unassimilating eccentricities, are mocked, laughed at, and distanced by the wilder wonders of the heart of man that amazing assemblage of all possible contrarieties in which one thing alone is steady the perverseness of spirit which grafts desire on to what is denied its qualities are indefinable its resources unfathomable its weaknesses indefensible in our neighbours we cannot judge in ourselves we dare not trust it we lose ere we learn to appreciate and ere we can comprehend it we must be born again its capacity all leaps all limit, whilst its futility includes every absurdity. It lifts its own surprise, it ceases to beat, and the void is inscrutable. In one grand and general view, who can display such a portrait? Fairly, however faintly, to delineate some of its features is the sole and discriminate province of the pen which would trace nature, yet blot out personality. CHAPTER One, A FAMILY SCENE Repose is not more welcome to the worn and to the aged, to the sick and to the unhappy, than danger, difficulty, and toil to the young and adventurous. Danger they encounter but as the forerunner of success, difficulty as the spur of ingenuity, and toil as the herald of honour. The experience which teaches the lesson of truth, and the blessings of tranquillity, comes not in the shape of warning nor of wisdom, for such they turn aside, defying or disbelieving. Tis in the bitterness of personal proof alone, in suffering and in feeling, in erring and in repenting, that experience comes home with conviction, or impresses to any use. In the bosom of her respectable family resided Camilla. Nature, with a bounty the most profuse, had been lavished to her of attractions. Fortune, with a moderation yet kinder, had placed her between luxury and indigence. Her abode was in the parsonage house of Etherington, beautifully situated in the unequal county of Hampshire, and in the vicinity of the varied landscapes of the New Forest. Her father, the rector, was the younger son of the house of Tyrold. The living, though not considerable, enabled its incumbent to attain every rational object of his modest and circumscribed wishes, to bestow upon a deserving wife whatever her own forbearance declined not, and to educate a lovely race of one son and three daughters with that expansive propriety which unites improvement for the future with present enjoyment. In goodness of heart and in principles of piety, this exemplary couple was bound to each other by the most perfect unison of character, though in their tempers there was a contrast which had scarce the gradation of a single shade to smooth off its abrupt dissimilitude. Mr. Tyrold, gentle with wisdom, and benign in virtue, saw with compassion all imperfections but his own, and their double the severity which to others he spared. 
yet the mildness that urged him to pity blinded him not to approve his equity was unerring though his judgment was indulgent his partner had a firmness of mind which nothing could shake calamity found her resolute even prosperity was powerless to lull her duties asleep the exalted character of her husband was the pride of her existence and the source of her happiness he was not merely her standard of excellence but of endurance since her sense of his worth was the criterion for her opinion of all others this instigated a spirit of comparison which is almost always uncandid and which here could rarely escape proving injurious such at its very best is the unskilfulness of our fallible nature that even the noble principle which impels our love of right misleads us but into new deviations when its ambition presumes to point at perfection in this instance however distinctness of disposition stifled not reciprocity of affection that magnetic concentration of all marriage felicity mr tyrrell revered while he softened the rigid virtues of his wife who adored while she fortified the melting humanity of her husband thus in an interchange of happiness the most deserved and of parental occupations the most promising passed the first married years of this blessed and blessing pair an event then came to pass extremely interesting at the moment and yet more important in its consequences this was the receipt of a letter from the elder brother of mr tyrold containing information that he meant to remove into hampshire sir hugh tyrold was a baronet who resided upon the hereditary estate of the family in yorkshire he was many years older than mr tyrold who had never seen him since his marriage religious duties prudence and domestic affairs having from that period detained him at his benefice while a passion for field sports had with equal constancy kept his brother stationary the baronet began his letter with kind inquiries after the welfare of mr tyrold and his family and then entered upon the state of his own affairs briefly narrating that he had lost his health and not knowing what to do with himself had resolved to change his habitation and settle near his relations the cleves estate which he heard was just by etherington being then upon sale he desired his brother to make the purchase for him out of hand and then to prepare mrs tyrold with whom he was yet unacquainted though he took it for granted she was a woman of great learning to receive a mere poor country squire who knew no more of hick hike hock than the baby unborn he begged him to provide a proper apartment for their niece indiana linmere whom he should bring with him and another for their nephew claremont who was to follow at the next holidays and not to forget mrs markland indiana's governess she being rather the most particular in point of pleasing amongst them mr tyrold extremely gratified by this unexpected renewal of fraternal intercourse wrote the warmest thanks to his brother and executed the commission with the utmost alacrity a noble mansion with an extensive pleasure ground scarce four miles distant from the parsonage house of etherington was bought fitted up and made ready for his reception in the course of a few months the baronet impatient to take possession of his new territory arrived speedily after with his niece indiana and was welcomed at the gate of the park by mr tyrold and his whole family sir hugh tyrold inherited from his ancestors an unencumbered estate of five thousand pounds per annum which he enjoyed with ease and affluence to himself and disseminated with a good will so generous that he appeared to think his personal prosperity and that of all surrounded him bestowed but to be shared in common rather from general right than through his own dispensing bounty his temper was unalterably sweet and every thought of his breast was laid open to the world with an almost infantine artlessness 
but his talents bore no proportion to the goodness of his heart an insuperable want of quickness and of application in his early days having left him at a later period wholly uncultivated and singularly self-formed a dearth of all sedentary resources became when his youth passed away his own constant reproach health failed him in the meridian of his life from the consequences of a wound in his side occasioned by a fall from his horse exercise therefore and active diversions were of necessity relinquished and as these had hitherto occupied all his time except that portion which he delighted to devote to hospitality and neighbourly offices now equally beyond his strength he found himself at once deprived of all employment and destitute of all comfort nor did any plan occur to him to solace his misfortunes till he accidentally read in the newspapers that the cleves estate was upon sale indiana the niece who accompanied him a beautiful little girl was the orphan daughter of a deceased sister who at the death of her parents had with claremont as an only brother been left to the guardianship of sir hugh with the charge of a small estate for the son of scarce two hundred pounds a year and the sum of a thousand pounds for the fortune of the daughter the meeting was a source of tender pleasure to mr tyrold and gave birth in his young family to that eager joy which is so naturally attached by our happiest early prejudices to the first sight of near relations mrs tyrold received sir hugh with the complacency due to the brother of her husband who now rose higher than ever in her estimation from a fraternal comparison to the unavoidable disadvantage of the baronet though she was not insensible to the fair future prospects of her children which seemed the probable result of his change of abode sir hugh himself notwithstanding his best affections were all opened by the sight of so many claimants to their kindness was the only dejected person of the group though too good in his nature for envy a severe self-upbraiding followed his view of the happiness of his brother he regretted he had not married at the same age that he might have owned as fine a family and repined against the unfortunate privileges of his birthright which by indulging him in his first youth with whatever he could covet drove from his attention that modest foresight which prepares for later years the consolation they are sure to require by degrees however the satisfaction spread around him found some place in his own breast and he acknowledged himself sensibly revived by so endearing a reception though he candidly avowed that if he had not been at a loss what to do he should never have thought of taking so long a journey but the not having made cried he the proper proficiency in my youth for the filling up of my time has made me quite behindhand he caressed all the children with great fondness and was much struck with the beauty of his three nieces particularly with that of camilla mr tyrold's second daughter yet she is not he cried so pretty as her little sister eugenia nor much better than t'other sister lavinia and not one of the three is half so great of beauty as my little indiana so i can't well make out what is so catching in her but there's something in her little mouth that quite wins me though she looks as if she was half laughing at me too which can't very well be neither for i suppose as yet at least she knows no more of books and studying than her uncle and that's little enough god knows for i never took to them in proper season which i have been sorry enough for upon coming to discretion then addressing himself to the boy he exhorted him to work hard while yet in his youth and related sundry anecdotes of the industry and merit of his father when at the same age though left quite to himself as to his great misfortune he had been also 
which brought about, he continued, my being this present ignoramus that you see me, which would not have happened if my good forefathers had been pleased to keep a sharper lookout upon my education. Lionel, the little boy, casting a comic glance at Camilla, begged to know what his uncle meant by a sharper lookout. Mean, my dear? Why, correction, to be sure. For all that, they tell me, is to be done by the rod, so there at least I might have stood as good as chance as my neighbours. And pray, uncle, cried Lionel, pursing up his mouth to hide his laughter, did you always like the thoughts of it so well? Why, no, my dear, I can't pretend to that. At your age I had no more taste for it than you have, but there's a proper season for everything. However, though I tell you this for a warning, perhaps you may do without it, for by what I hear the rising generation's got to a much greater pitch since my time. He then added, he must advise him as a friend to be upon his guard, as his cousin, Clermont Linmere, who was coming home from Eton School next Christmas for the holidays, would turn out the very mirror of scholarship, for he had given directions to have him study both night and day, except what might be taken off for eating and sleeping. Because, he continued, having proved the bad of knowing nothing in my own case, I have the more right to intermeddle with others, and he will thank me enough when once he has got over his classics. And, I hope, my dear little boy, you see it in the same light too, which, however, is what I can't expect. The house was now examined. The fair little Indiana took possession of her apartment, Miss Margland was satisfied with the attention that had been paid her, and Sir Hugh was rejoiced to find a room for Clermont that had no window but a skylight, by which means his studies, he observed, would receive no interruption from gaping and staring about him. And, when the night advanced, Mr. Tyrold had the happiness of leaving him with some prospect of recovering his spirits. The revival, however, lasted but during the novelty of the scene. Depression returned with the feelings of ill-health, and the happier lot of his brother, though born to almost nothing, filled him with incessant repentance of his own mismanagement. In some measure to atone for this, he resolved to collect himself a family in his own house, and the young Camilla, whose dawning archness of expression had instinctively caught him, he now demanded of her parents to come and reside with him and Indiana at Cleves. For certainly, he said, for such a young little thing, she looks full of amusement. Mrs. Tyrold objected against reposing a trust so precious, where its value could so ill be appreciated. Camilla was, in secret, the fondest hope of her mother, though the rigour of her justice scarce permitted the partiality to beat even in her own breast. Nor did the happy little person need the avowed distinction. The tide of youthful glee flowed jocund from her heart, and the transparency of her fine blue veins almost showed the velocity of its current. Every look was a smile, every step was a spring, every thought was a hope, every feeling was joy, and the early felicity of her mind was without allay. Oh, blissful state of innocence, purity, and delight! Why must it fleet so fast? Why scarcely but by retrospection is its happiness known? Mr. Tyrold, while his tenderest hopes encircled the same object, saw the proposal in a fairer light from the love he bore to his brother. It seemed certain such a residence would secure her an ample fortune. The governess to whom Indiana was entrusted would take care of his little girl, Though removed from the hourly instruction, she would still be within reach of the general superintendence of her mother, into whose power he cast the uncontrolled liberty to reclaim her, if there started any occasion. His children had no provision ascertained, 
should his life be too short to fulfil his own personal schemes of economy in their favour, and while to an argument so incontrovertible Mrs. Tyrold was silent, he begged her also to reflect that, persuasive as were the attractions of elegance and refinement, no just parental expectations could be essentially disappointed where the great moral lessons were practically inculcated by a uniform view of goodness of heart and firmness of principle. These his brother possessed in an eminent degree, and if his character had nothing more from which their daughter could derive benefit, it undoubtedly had not a point from which she could receive injury. Mrs. Tyrold now yielded. She never resisted a remonstrance of her husband, and as her sense of duty impelled her also never to murmur, she retired to her own room, to conceal with how ill a grace she complied. Had this lady been united to a man whom she despised, she would yet have obeyed him, and as scrupulously, though not as happily as she obeyed her honoured partner. She considered the vow taken at the altar to her husband as a voluntary vestal would have held one taken to her maker, and no dissent in opinion exculpated, in her mind, the least deviation from his will. But here, where an admiration almost adoring was fixed of the character to which she submitted, she was sure to applaud the motives which swayed him, however little their consequences met her sentiments, and even where the contrariety was wholly repugnant to her judgment, the genuine warmth of her just affection made every compliance and every forbearance not merely exempt from pain, but, if to him any satisfaction, a sacrifice soothing to her heart. Mr. Tyrold, whose whole soul was deeply affected by her excellences, gratefully felt his power, and religiously studied not to abuse it. He respected what he owed to her conscience. He tenderly returned what he was indebted to her affection. To render her virtues conducive to her happiness, to soften her duties by the highest sense of their merit, were the first and most sacred objects of his solicitude in life. When the lively and lovely little girl, mingling the tears of separation with all the childish rapture which novelty, to a much later period, inspires, was preparing to change her home, "'Remember,' cried Mr. Tyrold to her anxious mother, "'that on you, my Georgiana, devolves the sole charge, the unlimited judgment, to again bring her under this roof, the first moment she appears to you in any danger from having quitted it. The prompt and thankful acceptance of Mrs. Tyrold did justice to the sincerity of this offer, and the cheerful acquiescence of lessened reluctance raised her higher in that esteem to which her constant mind invariably looked up, as the summit of her chosen ambition. End of chapter 1 Recording by Adrian Wheel